Welcome to the Box Jumper Podcast, episode number eight. I'm your host, John Sainamon, and for this episode, I am joined by my gym buddy and fellow podcast host, PJ Mackinnon. If that name sounds familiar, you just may have listened to his awesome podcast, which he co-hosts with his lovely wife, Alana. Their podcast, the Night and Day Podcast, is a weekly show where they talk about life, fitness, family, CrossFit, hockey, crazy things people do, and more. It's definitely worth checking out. PJ and Alana have been my gym mates uh, going back to my first days in CrossFit. In fact, to the best of my recollection, Alana just may have been one of the people in my fundamentals class back when I started uh, in 2015. I've been finishing behind her in the wad ever since, as she is a 6 a.m. regular uh, like I am, and she's just a wee bit faster than I am. Uh, PJ, on the other hand, is uh, an afternoon or evening guy for the most part, so um, we don't necessarily cross paths in class as often as uh, Alana and I do, but we've had a little bit of a competition going on between us for a while at the gym regardless. Um, Everybody in CrossFit will be able to relate to this. There's always a couple of people that you work out with, uh, whether regularly or only on occasion, that you measure your fitness against. And I will concede he is more fit than I am, consistently outperforming me on Metcons that have a, a, a little bit more of a bent towards aerobic capacity. Um, he just has a better engine than I have. Um, I think on balance, I might be a little bit stronger. I'm not sure if he would agree, but um, you know, the only time I, I tend to catch him is when things get a little bit heavier. Not a lot heavier, just a little. Um, but not only is PJ a CrossFit buddy and fellow podcast host, but in his work life, he is a certified pedorthist. He travels to a number of clinics, seeing clients all over Nova Scotia. And what's cool with PJ is that he's able to bring his CrossFit experience into his work and vice versa. Um, certainly when he's dealing with people that are particularly active, his perspective as an athlete himself helps inform some of what he hears from patients, what he sees and how they move, and integrates with the training and experience he has as a pedorthist. I witnessed that perspective in action today, in an interaction with someone on Facebook in a CrossFit Masters group uh, that we're both a part of. A group member posed a question looking for advice on what to do about heel slippage in the latest nanos when using an insole. And you can bet this was right in PJ's wheelhouse. He jumped right in um, and with concrete, actionable advice, uh, just happened to be a specific lacing technique. And that group member tried it right away and found that it worked. I've been wanting to talk to PJ for a while, and so when the opportunity arose to have a sit-down and talk about his professional persona, I wasn't going to pass it up. So for this episode, let's zero in on your base. Let's talk feet and shoes, people. In 10 seconds, I'll chat with pedorthist, podcaster, and my CrossFit frenemy, PJ Mackinnon, as we talk about building your fitness quite literally from the ground up. Thanks for joining me today. Yep. Um, I know that uh, the, the plan in a future episode is to have you on with the whole family and, yes. and have a whole separate discussion about uh, that, that idea that we had for a theme around, yep. you know, fitting CrossFit into your life and yep. setting an example for your kids, which I think is, is going to be an interesting discussion in of itself. For sure. Um, but I, I decided to take this opportunity to start uh, mining you for information relating to your professional side. Perfect. Because um, I think it, it's particularly relevant um, to anyone that's in the fitness market. Um, I mean, it's relevant to everybody, ultimately. Yep. Um, but I, I'm curious. So just to give us a, a quick heads up, um, what what is it exactly that you do and how does that plug into um, what you deliver for your clients and and the the flip side of that is going to be has your experience in CrossFit changed 
how you approach the way that you do your job, or at least with when you know someone coming in is in a fitness-oriented space, mm-hmm. does that change the conversation with them? Yeah, so to start with, I am a certified pedorthist, Canadian certified pedorthist. So essentially what that means is that I do assessments on people for to determine whether or not uh, a custom foot orthotic is something that would benefit them. So patients will come in, uh, book an assessment with me, come in, have an assessment done. Uh, we'll determine through range of motion testing, flexibility, um, special testing, whether or not uh, gait analysis, motion mechanics analysis, that sort of thing, uh, determine whether or not we think a custom foot orthotic is going to be of benefit to them. Nine times out of 10, we're looking at lower extremity issues. Mm -hmm. So feet, ankles, knees, hips, and occasionally we'll throw in their lower back. You know, somebody comes in with a lower back issue. It's not often I'm going to go with orthotics in those cases because usually outside of what I think is going to be supremely effective. But anything lower limb, so hips, knees, uh, ankles, and feet. Um, Probably the most common thing that comes in through the door is heel pain. Um, You know, we've all had it. We've all woken up with arch and heel and and foot-related discomfort. The nature of the uh, workplace today is, you you know, most people, blue-collar workers especially, on their feet uh, all day long in, for the most part, not so great footwear. Mm. Um, so they come into me cl- complaining of some sort of pain and discomfort. Uh, so we'll go through that assessment, uh, determine where where it's coming from. Um, is it a functional mechanical issue? Is it uh, more of a, a structural issue? Narrow it down, size it down, and then determine what we're going to do. We're going to design an orthotic for this person. So I take all of the knowledge that I have and I figure out what am I going to do to alter the mechanics support the foot in a different way, um, do those types of things. So right. smash cut two weeks later, orthotic comes back from the lab, um, put it in the person's shoes, send them on their way to start breaking it in. So yeah. looking at them from a biomechanical perspective, certainly to your point of does do, you, do I now look at athletes in a different way? Do I believe that I could potentially be effective in helping athletes com- um, function better? Totally. You know, I'm at the gym now and I'll look at our fellow gym mates and I'm like, hmm, you know, the correction in his back squat is keep your knees out, keep your knees out. Well, that's all awesome. But if functionally his feet are forcing his knees to dip inward, Mm. inevitably there's something there that he's always, he or she is always going to struggle with. Right. It might be symptomatic of something else that's uh, happening biomechanically. Totally. And and we look at it and all the coaches will look and go, hey, you're restricted here. You're restricted there. Well, sometimes it's not always a restriction. Sometimes it's just poor, just alignment, functional mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. So I look at people from that perspective and I've, I've, handpicked a couple of people from the gym saying, hey, I think I can help, you know, a couple of friends of ours that live on my street. I'm just like, I think your squat could be better because your foot collapses the minute you get weight on your back, right? Fix that foot alignment up, stabilize the foot position. And all of a sudden, you know, they, I believe they'll be able to lift heavier, but it's the same as everything. People just, you know, avoid coming and seeing me and talking (laughs) to me and getting things taken care of. Yeah. We try to do our best we can. Yeah. So uh, it, there's, you know, CrossFitters have uh, in their gear bag uh, an assortment of shoes. Yep. Um, and so, you know, you look at things like certainly uh, sneakers are the, the commonality where every kind of armchair athlete is going to have those anyway, whether, yep. they, whether they're a, a runner or whatever sport they do, yep. chances are somebody's going to have sneakers. But then CrossFitters wind up with uh, a Metcon style shoe that's got a relatively flat foot 
little bit of flexibility to it, but really hardly any cushion. So yep. it's a totally different kind of shoe for someone to get comfortable with. And then, you know, they progress and they wind up getting a weightlifting shoe, which has the higher heel and yep. um, very little flex to it at all. Again, no cushion. Yep. So, you know, what, what kind of adjustments do you wind up having to make for that person? Do they wind up with a different orthotic in, in each of those shoes if, if they need an orthotic adjustment? Yeah, I, you know, there's there's no question there's sport-specific orthotics. Um, you know, when you're dealing with somebody, I'll use an example, a, a soccer cleat, not very forgiving when it comes to space, right? Mm. They tend to be really tight-fitting. They tend to be mm. really narrow, really shallow. Shallow mm. is a real critical piece. The depth in footwear um, is really one of my biggest limiting factors in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, so, yes, uh, sport-specific orthotics are a thing. Uh, having said that, most days or most companies out there now make a, d- enough depth in most footwear when you remove the existing insole to create enough space to be able to design an orthotic. Mm-hmm. And I'll always take into consideration, okay, what are you wearing, right? When they come in for that initial assessment to see me, bring a couple of pairs of shoes with you is, the, is the, always the recommendation. I want to see what they're using um, because that helps me in my design process to go, okay, I can't design a big, thick, bulky insole because I know that they need to transfer it from this shoe to that shoe. And if it's ineffective or it's more of a frustration, well, then guess what? It gets left out of the shoe that they don't want to mess around with. However, I will say most people get one pair and stick it in a certain pair of shoes and leave it there. Um, It's not, they're not cheap. Um, Mm. You know, when you get into a custom product, it's never cheap. And so therefore, you know, people can't afford to be buying three, four, five pairs of custom orthotics, Mm. right? You're looking at, you know, $400 a pop um, with some discounts for secondary and tertiary pairs, but it's not cost effective for most people. So what they'll do is they'll take that one pair, stick it in their most often worn shoe, and then the rest of the shoes, they'll either manage through maybe a decent off-the-shelf insole that will cover what they need, not perfectly, but effectively. Mm. Um, so when it comes to different types of shoes, there's no question that uh, you could potentially design a specific insole for each individual shoe. There's no question. Is is um, the, the customer's poor selection of a shoe a factor in in what you're seeing? Always. Um, I would say that, you know, I've been doing so orthotics. I've been a podorthist for 14 years. And for the first seven years of my career, I spent an awful lot of time in each assessment. Every person that walked through the door would get their feet measured. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a critical part of what I do. I need a sort of a general sense of what's your foot length and what's your foot width. After seven years, I got really, really tired of arguing with people about their shoe size for 15 minutes in a 30-minute in a assessment. Right. It really, it became a huge waste of my time. Mm. Everybody argued with me. All, everybody. A large portion of people argued with me over their shoe size. And I got tired of arguing. Did they think they were bigger or smaller than they really were? Always thought they were smaller. Really? Everybody always thought they were smaller. And even today, when I see patients, I break it down to something very basic that we all do. Anybody out there who has kids, you do it. Continue to do it for your entire life. And that is give yourself a thumbs width between your toes and the end of the shoe. Mm -hmm. We do it as parents because we're cheap. We don't want to be buying new shoes (laughs) every three months because this kid grew out of them. Um, people need to remember that their feet are constantly changing from Mm. birth to death. Our feet are changing and adapting to 
activity, lifestyle, all kinds of things. Your shoes that you choose, it changes the shape and size of your foot. But the inevitably your foot changes over time. The important thing is to always give yourself a little bit of space between your toes and the end of the shoe. Mm. And if you're not doing that, inevitably your shoe is too small. And even so over the course of the day, right? Totally. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I know that I got that lecture when I did running room clinics yep. for a long time. And, you know, being a distance runner, yep. you know that you're in that shoe for, you know, two to four hours for half marathon through to a full marathon. Yep. And, you know, if you don't want to lose your your toenails, right. <laughs> you buy a half size extra yes. in order to make sure because after, you know, an hour of pounding on the pavement, your foot is flatter and bigger than yep. it used to be. It expands. You get the obviously swelling things like that so you you need space in your shoe and and more often than not i would say most of the times people just had a poor width choice as well Mm -hmm. people don't realize okay well maybe i'm a seven or i'm a seven and a half but i'm also a two e or a four e width when you get into the width sizing now you have to really alter the shoe in some way to make it fit really really well um so yeah so i spent a lot of time I spent a lot of time in my early career educating people on shoe size, footwear, but it got so time consuming in assessments that I was losing the effectiveness of designing that orthotic properly. So I started to scale it back. You know, I would educate people when they came in to pick up their orthotics that they need to go with a different shoe. And here's my recommendations. And the minute I started writing things down for them, I want you to look at this brand. I want you to look at this shoe and I want you to go to this place. Yeah. All of a sudden, the argument stopped. There was no more fighting me on, oh, well, no, I'm sure it'd be this size, that size. I now leave it to the shoe fitting professionals to make the decision on what size that person needs, not yeah. me. Yeah. Right? Go fit this orthotic in the right shoe for you, and here are the three features that I want you to pay attention to. This, this, and this. And they go, all right, cool, I yeah. will. And so I figured out a way to get around the argument. Um, I still know that they're going to get a better fitting pair of shoes in the end. Right. right. So it's 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 a... It's a it's a balancing act for sure. So do you find that there's, uh, like width was an issue for, for me too. Yep. I mean, my feet aren't all that long, but they're relatively wide yep. uh, across the toes. And so I found I had to limit myself to certain manufacturers because there were, um, at least uh, locally anyway, if I wanted to be able to pick up a shoe that had a particular width, certain manufacturers um, would actually be in stock and have those additional widths because yep. it wasn't necessarily an off-the-shelf width for all manufacturers. And yep. then for some manufacturers, they were just wider naturally. Yep. And so whatever was on the shelf would actually fit. I think the challenge you run into when it comes to, especially with width-sized uh, or feet that require a wider shoe, um, is not so much that uh, manufacturers don't make them. It's the fact that shoe stores can't afford the inventory mm. to sit on, you know, a bunch of forty or sixty with shoes. In the hopes someone comes. In, in the hopes that them. somebody mm-hmm. gets it, but all of a sudden the season changes and you're stuck with that sandal that is a forty with. It's not. It's not sensible, right? Yeah. So it's really about managing inventory and. Yeah. There's a couple of stores locally that I certainly I refer to and recommend to on a regular basis just because I know that they're going to specialize. Maybe they're not going to carry 55 different styles to choose from. Mm. Maybe they're only going to have 10, but you're going to bring all 10 of those, which are probably the top sellers within that particular company, a New Balance or an Asics or whatever. Yeah. They may take the top 10 New Balance shoes and bring them in in all, of, all five widths. Right. Then you've got selection. You don't yeah. just have, well, I, I like that shoe, right? I like that color, whatever, right? You're now, no, they're going to fit you properly. They're going to give you some options. So yeah. it's definitely the better. And so unfortunately, you're going to pay a little bit more when it comes 
to that because they are scaling yeah. down their their selection, but they're also typically picking the top of the line uh, choices. So, yeah. but yeah, good. There's a couple of good shops around town that I certainly encourage people to go to all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I can think of a couple of them uh, right off the top of my head. Yeah, um, the, the the online component of yep. things when people are shopping has got to make the dynamic a little bit tougher too because you don't necessarily get to try it on before you're at least somewhat committed i mean most most places have a pretty decent return policy even if you're buying online so yeah. you're not you know stuck with a shoe that doesn't fit necessarily um but it does make the selection process a little bit tougher because it you does. don't get to try it on ahead it, of time and i usually tell people go go to a decent store and and the stores that I refer to, I apologize if I send anybody and they disappear like after 20 minutes of trying on shoes and don't buy something from you because I, I can appreciate the fact that sometimes people just don't have the, you know, the indisposable or the disposable cash to be able to go and purchase that type of a shoe. Yeah. But I'll always encourage them, go try it on. You need to understand that fit. And that fit is the critical piece. Go try on the the expensive New Balance in the proper width, and then go find it in another shoe that's a little bit cheaper. A little maybe you know you just can't afford to shop at those places. So go find it at Walmart. I don't care, right? Yeah. I've always said to my patients, especially when it comes to if they're going to try to find a shoe to put their orthotic in, the orthotic is the critical piece. It's addressing the mechanical dysfunction. Right. We just need to house it in a shoe that's going to hold it, right? I'm not picky on. It has to be this brand or that brand. Um, you know, I, I, I'm understanding of the fact that they just dropped $400 on a pair of custom-made insoles yeah. and spending $200 on a pair of shoes is maybe not in, in cards. Mm. But I also, because of the, the, the background and the knowledge that I have in footwear, because it did work for a company that sold shoes um, for 10 years, um, I will often go... Like I can judge a person's budget and I'll get into the conversation with them and I'll go, okay, let's listen. I'm going to come up with a, a cheaper alternative for you. It's not the cat's meow. It's not the top choice, but here I'm going to make a choice that I know is still going to give you the best you can afford to get. Yeah. Right. Um, so I sometimes will, will make those choices for people um, just to help make it more feasible. Now I know a lot of the manufacturers themselves have, um, they've got, you know, different lines within their, their, products that that are meant to compensate for either uh pronation yep. or, or something along those lines so um how do you make sure that the that the customer doesn't wind up getting something that um corrects in the wrong direction yep. relative to the orthotic that they've been prescribed for sure you know so all the manufacturers out there today um when it comes to specific we'll talk specifically running shoes it's easier to discuss but mm. yeah there's a pronation control shoe pronation being that the, the arch collapses foot tips inward um, aggressively. Um, if a person is coming to me to get an orthotic, um, they're going to get the recommendation to scale back that amount of stability in the shoe. Mm -hmm. Step away from the stability shoe, no bells and whistles. All I want you to do is a nice shock absorbing cushion shoe with your now functionally controlling orthotic. Right. Um, however, there's those people where I'm like, you're kind of on the cusp. You don't really need this amount of correction through a $400 insole. I think you should just try a stability shoe. So there's definitely that opportunity to look to correct in two completely different ways. And for me, that just becomes a recommendation for a different style of shoe or, or hey, go see my friends over here and they'll help you find that right shoe that's going to address the mechanical stuff. They'll go with a recommendation from me. You know, here's what we're trying to do. Take that to the store and they'll, they'll help you find the right thing. Um, but more often than not, if we're looking at an orthotic case... 
that person is going to go and just get a standard neutral cushion running shoe, no extra bells and whistles. Um, that's what we want to try to avoid. So, when when you see you know issues that that um, come from the foot, where do you see that commonly translating to um, as you travel up? The yeah. body. I would say the, the the most common manifestation is going to be, uh, obviously I see feet, people are complaining of their feet most often, yeah. but the next most common one is probably knees, um, mm. medial or lateral knee pain, you know, uh, we are a, we have been, us as a group, not so much because we've sort of found fitness later in life and certainly, or at least at a more um, beneficial aggressive uh level but more often than not sedentary people you know non-active lifestyles osteoarthritis runs rampant in these people so they're coming in with medial knee pain lateral knee pain due to uh, wear and tear bone on bone rubbing um just because they may be overweight inactive maybe when they try to get active or on the flip side of that, super active at a young age and destroyed their joints. And so now for, now they need some some sort of mm-hmm. relief. So kind of see two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, but the knee would probably be the most common next joint that we try to address through the use of an orthotic. Um, the further away from the feet, I always say the less effective I can be with an orthotic. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it would make sense that custom orthotic is touching your foot. The foot is the most commonly, easily accessible place to fix. Mm-hmm. Um Next up is the knee or ankle, then knee, then hip, then lower back. So that's as I say, I can treat mostly all of those joints with some form of effectiveness, but the further up you go, the harder it becomes to really have a positive effect through the, through the foot. And are those the points that you use to hand off to other healthcare professionals, yeah. whether it's uh, physiotherapists or massage yeah. or something along 100%. those lines? 100%. You know, my I am not a, I'm not a be-all, end-all, I-can-fix-everything kind of guy. And not that I think physios are or chiropractors are. Listen, my most common referrals come from my in-house clinic staff, right? right. They're seeing patients. They're seeing a whole lot more patients than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, physio, chiropractic, those guys are swamped. Massage therapists, they're swamped with busyness, patients after patients after patients, I rely on them to, to pick out those people that go, hey, I think this guy might be able to help you. You know, I, I'm doing a great job at addressing your hip weakness, but you also have some poor functional mechanics that are causing more difficulties with your hips. Let's go get it addressed. Yeah. But I'm quick to hand off when I know it's outside of what I think I can have a real good positive uh, effect on. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm happens regularly and you travel all around the province yeah right because you're covering multiple That's clinics right. yeah the cl- the company that i work for um and lifemark is the name of the company i mm-hmm. don't know if you want you can cut that out if you don't want it in there <laughs> um, but lifemark is the company that i work for we happen to have 12 clinics in the atlantic region i go to 11 of the 12 the only one i don't they don't not that they make me travel anywhere, but the only one I don't have to go to is St. John, New Brunswick. That's an awfully long drive for, mm. for a day's worth of work. Yeah. Um, but I do handle um, Amherst, Truro, New Glasgow, and Bridgewater. And then we have uh, six clinics in the city. Um, so I'm in a different clinic every day. It's a great setup for me. Um, yeah. It works well. So I do a lot of traveling. Um, but, you know, and interestingly enough, a different dynamic everywhere I go. Well, that's um, what I was going to ask. I mean, know, do, you, do you see um, different trends in different populations around the province? Totally. Yeah. You know, you see a lot more, uh, 
I would describe it as blue collar workers, you know, factory folks, um, you know, people in more in the rural areas. So your 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 Bridgewater, your Truro, your New Glasgow, mm-hmm. um, your Amherst. You see those people that are you know blue collar workers working, you know, uh, back shifts. A lot of uh, when you get into the city, you certainly get more active people. I find, and mm-hmm. not to say that there aren't active people in the rural areas, but I see more sports-related or activity-related injuries in the city. Um, uh, definitely a lot. I see a lot more youth in the city because, mm-hmm. again, I think more because more opportunity for kids to be involved in sports and things like that. So, mm-hmm. and and maybe just more education in in promoting these types of services in, in city centers. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to see more youth in, in, uh, in the city than I do in the outskirts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so different demographic everywhere I go. How much does early intervention, um, wind up playing a part? I mean, you know, very like the aches and pains and so forth kind of manifest themselves as you get a little bit older. So yeah. how, how does a, how does a kid, you know, in high school or university even think about orthotics as potentially being something that they would look at to, uh, protect themselves from injury yeah. and, and perform better? Like, how do they, how do, how do you wrap your head around how to attract those people to come in and, and get things looked at that early? It's mom and dad, number one, you know, because at the end of the day, those kids aren't making the any of the purchasing decisions. They don't even know. Yeah, they just, they're complaining yeah. to mom and dad. So if mom and dad are well-educated, then obviously um, we're, we have a shot. Yeah. Um, but our first line of defense, truthfully, is physicians. Um, you know, same as, same as what CrossFit is going through right now. Mm. How are we going to get people to stop being, you know, diabetics and on medications and this, that, and the other thing, we'll start with the physicians and train the physicians to understand that there is an alternative to firing medicine down their throat, right? Um, There is an alternative. Go find somebody who can fix a mechanical dysfunction and maybe you'll have some benefit. So certainly physicians we rely on quite heavily um, to, to educate their patients to say, hey, maybe consider this. And we all know that the minute a, a medical professional tells you to do something, inevitably you're going to take it like the word of God and you're going to go do it, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have a handful of physicians in every little town that I go to that certainly trust me as a professional to know that I can help with what the problem is, so then they'll hit mom and dad and go, I think you need to go take care of it. And then mom and dad are obviously yeah. educated through their experiences with me, I'll be honest, I'm selling, right? You know, really, I'm, you might as well call me a glorified retailer to some <laughs> extent, right? Because they come in, they're looking for information. They want they want the pain to go away. Yeah. But then it's me to sell a $400 device that's going to fix that, right? So they have to be well uh, educated throughout the process. They have to feel the confidence in me as a professional. Yeah. Um, so I'm a seller, you know, people people have said that, that meet me personally, you're like, Man, you could sell anything, right? And that's just who I am, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I certainly use all the tools to try to help the, the critical pieces educate them. They need to understand why I'm making them an insole. And if I don't do a good yeah. job at that, they're not going to invest in it, right? Yeah. No different than going and buying a car. Right? True. Yeah. You're not you're not going to buy the you know the top of the line car if the bottom of the line car works just as well, right? Because yeah. I could sling a whole bunch of off the shelf insoles for fifty bucks. Or I could sell a four hundred dollar one because A, B, and C. Here's your reasons why, right? Yeah. So, and they're they're valid reasons, but a lot of the times people are like, "Well, why can't I just use an off the shelf?" 
Okay, go ahead. You can. So with your, if you're with a patient for uh, an extended period of time, we're talking, you know, over multiple years. Yep. Um, do you see a progression at all or, or a change in their biomechanics as that patient ages? And so you wind up delivering different services over time? Or would you commonly be correcting for the same issue when they come back. I in think the next you're time. commonly correcting for the same issue. Okay, so let, let's let's use a, a condition called plantar fasciitis, heel pain. Right, mm-hmm. um, they're typically coming back three, four years later with an insole that's broken down to the point that didn't do what it's intended to do at day one. Right, right. day four hundred, it's less effective than it was on day one right. um, because it just it depletes. Right, just the same as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, use it and use it and use it, and eventually it starts to wear out. Um, so they'll come back. With heel pain again, three years later. Oh, I'm mm. starting to get a little bit of heel pain. I'm waking up in the morning and my heel hurts. Uh, that's how it was four years ago. I got the orthotic and then it cleared up. Right. Okay, great. So now you know it's not doing what it used to do. So I'm typically seeing them for the same stuff. However, when they come in for that assessment, obviously I can compare now assessment one to assessment two and go, well, now I see a few other changes here. And I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy that likes to jump in early at preventatively to try and stop things from getting worse down the road, right? Mm-hmm. So if I see something, maybe there's been a, a physiological change to the foot that isn't bothering them currently, and maybe I'm not even going to tell them, I may make a change to their orthotic just for the purposes of trying to avoid a potential problem down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often than not, they're still coming back for the same stuff. But I often say to people... People need to understand that an orthotic is not a corrective device. It's Mm. an assistive device. It's not a corrective device. So I compare them to glasses. People come in and they put on their glasses when they're talking to me. It fixes whatever malfunction is there in their eyes to allow them to see correctly. The minute they take the glasses off, that malfunction is still there. The muscles are weak. The eyes are screwed, whatever. And they can't see as well as when they put them on. Well, an orthotic device is very similar. Put it underneath the foot. It corrects some sort of mechanical deficiency. And all of a sudden... There's less pain, better function. Get rid of them because they either wore out or your initial pain complaint is gone. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden they stop using it and eight months later they're back in my door going, hmm, my feet are sore again. I'm like, well, have you been wearing your orthotics? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, not really. Okay, well, great. Your mechanics haven't changed. Let's just get back to using them. Off they go and everything's better again. Is it like eye correction where as you age, it's gradually going to get worse? For most people, because again, off the top, I said when your foot size changes over time. Yes, Mm, your foot is constantly changing. Think about it. The average person, 10,000 steps in the run of the day. um, That's a lot of stress and strain on the foot structure. So it's inevitably going to change over time. Mm. It's all about trying to, to alter that support system in little ways over time to maintain the proper amount of correction and function. So it works well. Now, not everybody that works out in a box is going to have the uh, benefit and convenience of having a podorthist working out right next to them and able to spot what's going on with them. So, um, you know, if you were to describe to a CrossFitter, what, what should they be feeling for Mm -hmm. um, in, let's say certain movements yep. that would allow them to say, you know, maybe I should go see a podorthist yep. about, about looking at a corrective device. I would say the best advice that I can give is to, two things that come, come to me off the top of my head. Number one, uh, if you're struggling with a movement, go down to literally the basics of it. Start at the bottom and work your way up. Um, and 
typically a decent coach can pick up on a couple of things. You know, if a coach can pick up on good things and go, hmm, you know, this just doesn't seem right. You know, it's never a bad idea to get assessed by somebody who can assess it on, on, a, on a bigger scale, on, mm-hmm. a, on, a, on a more infinite scale to kind of go, hmm, why is that specifically that way? And, you know, of course, anybody that's worth, you know, assault in any profession is going to go, we got to start at the bottom we'll work at the bottom and work our way up or start at the basics. What, what's, what's the root cause? What's the movement look like at its very bare bones? And then why is, where's it going wrong? Right. Yeah. Um, so I'll encourage people if they're struggling with movements, lifts, if you're having consistent repetitive pain, right on the mm. same things over and over and over again, maybe you can do, maybe you can do all the pull-ups in the world, but the minute you get weight on your back, all of a sudden you run into difficulties, feet, knees, hips, lower back that you didn't have before, you're going to want to get it looked at, right? Yeah. Um, the second thing uh, is look at the wear pattern on your shoes, right? If it's really abnormal or if it's really excessive in a short period of time. Or localized. Localized in, in yep. a specific area. Localized is a tough one because everybody gets freaked out because like, oh, the outside of my heel is wearing down. Well, right. that's the first place that your foot strikes the, gar- the ground. So repetitively doing that is going to wear that tread on that outside heel corner. Right. We're okay with that. Okay. And I see people all the time and I'm like, that's okay. That's normal. Um it's when you start to see a shoe wear down or you set your shoes up on the table and they're tipping one way or the other. They mm. shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be needing to replace your shoes in a super quick period of time. Like I'll see people and a lot of the times younger kids that come in, oh, I got to replace the shoes every three months because they're wearing out. That's early. That's quick. And I mm. get that kids can abuse shoes ba- fast or quicker, um, but... They shouldn't wear out that quickly. There's usually a mechanical dysfunction there that keeps overloading a specific area of the shoe. So if your shoe is really wearing and the tread's wearing excessively in a short period of time, a lot of the times that can lead to or be an indicator that there could be some potential problems down the road. So I often say, take a look at your shoes. um, and, and, And you can usually judge if there's going to be a potential problem just by looking at that it's not the be all end all for me i always take a look at it and people point out things and i'm like okay cool i see it but i need to look at everything else and then think is that a potential problem yeah yep is there a reasonable expectation for the lifespan of a shoe it's all relative to the amount of activity you're doing in it but i would say your let's say a typical running shoe you're going to get at least a year to a year and a half out of it but beyond that, you've got to really, you know, you gotta, you gotta change it sooner. Um, yeah. You know, year, year and a half is usually that time frame. Um, again, when you get into sports specific shoes, if you're using something for, let's say, for example, weightlifting, um, mm. where you don't have your lifters on all the time, you have them on for short periods of time mm. in a workout, yeah. and then you switch to a different shoe. So inevitably, that shoe is going to last you longer than the shoe that you're wearing all the time. Your Metcons are probably going to wear out significantly faster than yeah. your lifters do just for the amount of time that you use them and the type of activity that you're going to do in them. Yeah. My nanos are beat to hell and my lifters look brand new right. even six months later. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you got to be cognizant of that. You just got to pay attention to those things and, yeah. and take advantage. The other thing that I will encourage people to do, and some people, you know, maybe in the CrossFit world, we can afford it because of course we are, we have some exposable or disposable income that we can, we can use for CrossFit. We might have a little bit extra. Multiple pairs of shoes is a good idea, mm. right? You guys see me, I come in in multiple pairs of shoes all the time. I have yeah. different shoes for but 
the more you use a shoe, one shoe, one pair specifically, the faster it's gonna wear down. You have multiple pairs of shoes to do the same acti activity, they're gonna last you a whole lot longer. Yeah. So I encourage a lot of people, especially runners. Runners, man, they're, they're famous for wearing their running shoes all day as a nurse at the hospital and then going for a run in the evening. There's mm. nothing left in that shoe by the time they get out and run their 5K, 10K, whatever. Yeah, and they and wonder they, why they have shin splints. Right, they come shin splints. They're complaining of knee, hip, lower back pain. And I'm like, well, do you, are your running shoes specific? Oh, no, I wear them at work all day. Okay, that's yeah. not a good idea, right? Yeah. And maybe that doesn't dawn on people, like I guess, but... And the wear pattern is going to be different between those two activities, potentially, because totally. their gait could be completely right. different. Your running gait is running. For, totally. You know, you're going to definitely, you're going to wear the shoe in a different place and pattern uh, mm. running versus walking, for sure. No yeah. question. I know, um, at least with the, the members at Osprey, I mean, I, I've been asked, you know, what, what shoe should I get for CrossFit yep. once, once I've decided to stick around kind of thing. Yep. Um, and at least the way that I've been approaching it is, you know, to, to say, get a, get a Metcon shoe first, prioritize that because A, you're going to wear it more often yes. in the workout. Um, and B, you know, there's not as much cushion in it as there is in a sneaker. So you're not going to want to go running long distance in it. Right. But it's not terrible for weightlifting. It's just not ideally suited for it. So, yeah. you know, if you have to make a choice between a lifter and a Metcon, I tell people to get the Metcon first. Totally. And then if they decide to stick around even longer, then they'll progress to getting themselves a weightlifting shoe. Well, and one of the things to consider, and, and I've, I've talked to a couple of people about it, sometimes you don't need to invest in the lifter. What you can invest in is a $5 lift to put inside your shoes, which automatically mm. turns your Metcon into a lifter. So really all you're doing is elevating the heel a little bit to improve ankle mobility in the lifts, mm -hmm. right? That's that's the point of a lifter. Yep. I have little lifts that I can stick inside of people's shoes that do the exact same form of elevation. Yeah. And you can turn a Metcon into a lifter to some extent. So mm. if you had multiple sets of Metcons, turn one of them into a lifter by putting a little bit of a lift underneath the insole inside the shoe. And all of a sudden it functions in a slightly different way. Yeah. You wouldn't use it for running, you know, in our work regular workouts or doing all the regular stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you could have that as your lifter pair. So, you know, and I, I experiment with those things with Alana and my wife and I just, Hey, listen, you're having a little bit of stuff issues there. Let me put a lift in there and I'll, I'm constantly experimenting with stuff just to see what works and what doesn't. So, yeah. and I've done the heel before I had my lifters, I put heel lifts inside my shoes and it felt pretty yeah. much the same. Yeah. So, so once you got lifters, you, you didn't feel like a, a big sea change of, of difference between very the two? little. Very little. So, you know, it, it, for somebody on a budget who's like, I can't afford to spend on yeah. Metcons, I can't afford to spend on lifters and all that stuff, you know, seek somebody out like me who could just, you know, give you a little bit of a lift and build, you can just slip that inside your shoe, you know, yeah. untie your shoe, put the lift in and go do your lifts, right? Now, so when it comes awesome. to, um, you know, selection and, and variation between the different types of shoes, like... The sneaker world seems to have an infinite number of, of combinations, whereas yeah. the CrossFit-specific environment, right. you've got only a couple manufacturers that are really playing in that space. Yep. And then within the different types of shoes that are intended for CrossFit and, and that type of, of fitness training, yep. the selection is even more narrow. So yep. um, you know how, how specific can a person really expect to get in their shoe selection 
in those areas. And right now, as you said, it's it's, it's not there. There's a there's a there's a corner of the market with a couple of couple of players. You know, yeah. Reebok. Uh, who else probably has Nike? Reebok and Nike on certainly on the Metcon side. Yeah. On the weightlifting side, Adidas is a player as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. So you know, you're limited, and I don't think you'll ever see much of a shift on the weightlifting side. You know, you'll keep your same players. I don't think that'll change. However, CrossFit is blowing up worldwide, um, and CrossFit is obviously doing a good job of trying to market more and more worldwide. Um, so I think you're going to see some of these other outskirt companies jump in, try something. You know, some of them are going to fail at it. I'll yeah. tell you that I think the probably the company that's going to do the next sort of stab at it and probably do a decent job is probably going to be New Balance. Yeah. And New Balance is going to do that simply because they tout themselves as the width size option company, mm. right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So being that they are, you know, able to p- potentially provide a shoe in multiple widths compared to some of the others, people are going to potentially gravitate towards that. Um, they cert- New Balance has a couple now. I think they have a couple of uh, shoes that they sort of consider. They have the sort of wrap around through the arch that you can use for rope climbs and things like that. So they've got a couple in their lineup now. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they've really jumped in 100% because I think everybody's just waiting to see, is this CrossFit thing going to phase out? Yeah. And it's not. Um, no. It's only going to continue to grow. I don't yeah. believe it'll ever phase out. Um, so, yeah, I think you'll see more and more of those vendors come forward with their version of the shoe. Um, you know, one of that I got recently, Ultra. Um, it, it's 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 a running shoe brand, and it's designed for people with really wide feet. Um, I got a pair, and I actually love them. Uh, hmm. They're the most comfortable because... They are a running shoe company. They've they've really tried to go, let's not turn this into a full-on Metcon-style shoe. Let's bring some of those features into the shoe, but let's still leave it as a shock-absorbing running-style shoe. Right. Um, it's great. Um, yeah. I really, really enjoy it. So, um, so they're all going to come in. They're going to, and some of them are going to dabble and they're going to fail and they're going to leave. Um, yeah. So, but it, it's 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 a big booming business and it's going to keep on growing. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll be the one category that will be a little bit harder for everybody to try on a bunch of different pairs because yep. certainly locally, at least in the Halifax market, you go into any of even the large uh, sport box stores, yep. they don't generally stock much in no. those areas. They'll they'll have they'll have one or two yep. selections of the Nike Metcons. Yep. They'll have a, a few of the Nanos from Reebok, maybe a lifter or two, um, and that's probably the most you're going to see on the yep, shelf. Totally. Um, so you wind up having to do considerably more online shopping for yeah. that specialty type shoe. And back to the idea that it's it's a heavy inventory for them to carry, right? They're, yeah. they're just not, they're not going to bring in stuff that's not going to move, right? Their intention is to bring it in and move it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So I think it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the next couple of years. And let's be honest, once Reebok, if they you know eventually you know step away from crossfit in any way mm. somebody else is going to jump right in right it's they're not going to go along without a major corporate sponsor um i maybe reebok will stay there forever you know there was hints of it potentially earlier in the year um that there was some you know dust up between them legally so maybe eventually after the, i think they're in for till at least after 2020 or something like that was what i read or maybe yeah i think i read or, I, I think i read they quietly got that figured out so it sounds like it's it's so they're good for for another few years but hey just like every partnership it has to be renegotiated at some point and Mm -hmm. everybody wants more so at some point reebok could step away from uh from from crossfit and you know 
I, I Nike will probably be the first one to jump in, mm. uh, but you never know. A, a, an outside player could be could be watching this all on the outskirts, designing something really cool, ready to strike when the iron is hot, and say, "Hey, we're we're new, and so we're going to take over." Well, yeah, and the, and the recent changes, you know, with uh, I mean the discussion that you had with Pat Vellner on yep. on your podcast, yep. uh, the notion of the changing schedule, and now the sponsors don't get quite the same level of exposure, and yep. that's not just the athlete sponsors. That's the event sponsors themselves, sure. where now there's not you know a bunch of regional uh, competitions that occur that have their name on the banner. Yeah. Um, so that can change the dynamic between corporate sponsorship and. Sure. The, I think you're going to see a lot more athletes really reaching out to go after corporate sponsorship on a bigger scale. And and part of me thinks when I was talking to Velner, I actually thought that there was a there was a way that CrossFit did this for that reason I, 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 part of me thinks that to bring more money into your sport mm. and one way to bring more money into your sport is to make your athletes go get more money for your sport do you know what i mean like, yeah so them reaching out because if i want to compete i'm not if i'm not gonna win the open i now have to make a plan to go travel somewhere further away from where i live potentially yeah. um, to compete in a competition that i have to prepare for, fly to, travel to, whatever, right? So I think the athletes are going to be now forced to reach out to get sponsorship. Yeah. And they're going to get sponsorship from wherever they can get sponsorship. It they globalizes need... it in a different way, right. for sure. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Because I have a gut feeling that'll bring more attention to CrossFit on the whole by forcing the athletes to go bring attention to the CrossFit even more, yeah. right? Because we all joke that those athletes don't, they don't talk about CrossFit the way that the average Joe CrossFitter talks about CrossFit. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now they're going to be forced to have to go do that because they need money. So they need to go talk about the sport. Here's And just like Olympic athletes, I would know nothing about some of the sports if it wasn't through their sponsorships that it got expo- I got exposed to it, right? That yeah. sort of thing. So I think it's interesting the direction that it's headed. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be... Everybody's not happy about it i'm sure because short-term pain hopefully long-term gain yeah absolutely and and i think it's important for them to 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 make that switch back to um going after grassroots yeah same as anything how do you develop athletes you go to the grassroots build up the grassroots so the focus on the boxes focus on the affiliates affiliates yeah and all of a sudden you will start to develop grassroots athletes who want to go to the top stage right if you just focus on the top athletes the grassroots kids forget it they go i'm not interested because i'm never going to get there right so same as any sport i think you know it's 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 evolving it's changing and you know it's fun to be part of it on multiple levels you know Mm -hmm. i only hope that my professional love work that i do helps me in some way connect with somebody on some level and maybe one day a CrossFit athlete at the games will be wearing orthotics that are in my shoe, in their shoes that are yeah. done by me. I don't yeah. know, right? But it's something that I can always aspire to, maybe connect with somebody. Somebody may hear this podcast and go, hey, I want to reach out to this guy. I want to find out more about it. I've had this pain that's been driving me crazy in my feet for the last two years as an athlete, and I haven't been able to fix it with this, that, or the other thing. Great. Well, maybe you haven't thought about orthotics as an option. Yeah. You reach out to somebody like me, get connected, all of a sudden now... Bob's your uncle, your feet are fixed, and now you're able to compete better. Yeah. Who knows, right? So take it on a bigger scale anytime yeah. I can. A lot of options. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So 
uh, if people want to uh, want to follow you online, how do they connect with you? Uh, probably the easiest way to do uh, that is through, uh, first off, Instagram. You can reach out to me. It's at PJ Mackinnon, P-J-M-A-K-I-N-E-N. Um, it's probably the easiest way. You can, if you have any questions about orthotics, anything like that, Instagram's a great spot. Um, follow along on our podcast, uh, not yeah, to take away from yours, but sure. uh, we're night and day podcast. Uh, my wife, Alana and I, we, we, we have fun uh, doing a sort of a weekly thing. Uh, you know, it's not, I'm not going to talk to you about injuries and things like that on my podcast. That's just not what I do, but you can find us there uh, for sure. Uh, night and day podcast. So reach out to us there. Um, we're night day podcast on all of the platforms. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, just reach out to me. Lifemark is where I work. Lifemark.ca um, on online. Uh, look them up, search up a therapist. Maybe you live in BC and you're hearing this podcast and you're looking for somebody to do your orthotics. Lifemark has people out there. Um, so just lifemark.ca, check it out. Um, yeah. And you can find a therapist in your region. Awesome. Cool. PJ Mackinnon. Thanks, man. Thanks. Cool. That's fun. That's it. Time to put the gear away and remember to keep the number facing out on those wall balls, people. So... How are you feeling about your foundation? Have you given your feet and your shoe selection the thought that they really deserve? Have you really analyzed the root of any discomfort that you felt in your workout or in your everyday walking around? These are things you might consider going to see someone like PJ for, to look closely at the biomechanics of how you move and determine if there's something in your foundation that could be modified and relieve that feeling. I'm going to have PJ back on the podcast soon, but next time he'll be joined by his wife and co-host of the Night and Day podcast, so be sure to check them out. Please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you get upcoming episodes automatically as I'm joined by more guests to talk about fitness and health. If you like this episode, please take two minutes, write a five-star review on iTunes. It's very much appreciated and it helps other folks like you find the podcast. You can email feedback or ideas to me at info at boxjumper.ca. And of course, you can uh, visit boxjumper.ca often for more fitness-related stuff outside the podcast as well. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at BoxJumperOver40. Thanks for listening. I have more guests lined up already for upcoming episodes, so stay tuned. Until then, stay healthy, wad happy, and wad often.